yeah. I love my HBCU. And boy, I love it, love it. I love it, love it. I love my HBCU. And man, I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. Man. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I hope my team they won one. Yeah. I tune into the HBCU Sports Lab to see if my team won a loss. If they lost, I'm quiet as a mouse. But if they won, keep tab. Uh, I'ma do the dab, yeah. He know what he be talking about. Mike and Charles, they know what they be talking about. They can press the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna laugh. And who the ball? So listen to Professor, yes sir, and pay attention, cause he gon' teach a lesson. This is Dr. Bill with Inside the HBC Sports Lab. Welcome to episode 463 of Inside the HBC Sports Live Radio Show and Podcast, the show that's covering the sporting HBCU diaspora, all things HBCU sports. For institutions large and small, from the NEIA to the NCAA, we share insights and information on the HBCU sports culture, HBCU athletic aesthetics to facilitate the story of HBCU athletic programs in the business of HBCU sports. Simply put, we call it the HBCU sports pedagogy. I'm your host, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, along with my co-host, Mike Washington, Charles Bishop, both out on assignment, uh, along with B.J. Jones. We put them out there to make sure they could get some insights on the games that took place, and they decided to stay over and travel this morning. We put A.D. Drew and Joshua Sim Senior out there as well, but they hit the road last night, getting back to make sure that they could give you some time to see their Beautiful faces, I guess I'll call it that. Uh, more importantly, to hear their analysis on the show. We are filming from our home studios and sending a signal live, as we always do, representing Texas Southern University from Houston, Texas. With that being said, let me get right to it. AD Drew, how you doing this morning? Doing fine. Not quite back home yet. Uh, halfway. Uh, decided to... Uh, to stop over, see a few people. Uh, or yesterday on my way back to South Georgia. So, uh, but uh, a, a, di- disappointed is probably the best thing. You know, uh, HBCUs went in, great game plan, competitive for the first half. Uh, obviously, I was at the Benedict Lenore Ryan game in the third quarter. I won't say they fell apart, they just Flat out got outplayed in the third quarter. I thought it was more them falling apart. Uh, finished that game and I click, uh, pull up on my phone and I see Central is winning. Then they losing. Then they're winning again. And then uh, by the time we start breaking down the equipment, now Central is down a couple of scores. So then I flip over to the uh, to the Grambling uh, Southern game to buy you Classic. And at that point, Southern was winning big, so I'm like, okay. And then I got got distracted, and I look up like, oh my god, they, uh, Grant has a chance to actually win this game. And somehow, I got distracted and missed the last series where Gremlin had the ball with the opportunity to win the game. But that's just kind of how the day was uh, for Brother O yesterday. So. Well, there's a lot of talk about that last series, so we'll break it down here. With that being said, Josh Sim Sr., 
you were there in person on the sideline doing what you do covering uh, the playoff game, FCS playoff game in this case with North Carolina Central at Richmond. I'm sure you do what you do to make sure you could catch some of the other games as well. Well, how are you doing this morning? Uh, uh, blessed and highly favored, man. Can't, can't complain at all. Uh, up another day, seeing another day. So cannot complain. I'm inside of <clears throat> the first 24 hours of my 48-hour rule. So uh, I've, I've watched film twice already. I got a couple more times I will watch film before I get out of my 48-hour rule period. Um, um, you know, had a chance to watch. Uh, got back late last night here to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, from, I'm traveling from Richmond. Uh, got back late and, you know, said and talked with the wife for a second, and then I turned the film on. And so uh, after watching the film <laughs> last night, um, you know, after watching the film last night, I felt a little bit better uh, because it became a, it became drastically clear what happened in that game yesterday as, as it pertained to North Carolina Central. Then, uh, you know, proceeded to try to lay down and close my eyes for a second, and it was like, ah, oh, snap, I forgot to look at this. Went back and turned the film back on. And stayed up to about one o'clock in the morning last night just watching film. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, this morning, early this morning, I had a chance to turn on the Bayou Classic to watch a little bit of that. Uh, I'll finish watching that film probably sometime midday today uh, as I'm going through the festivities here in the Sims home. Uh, it is it is holiday decoration day in the Sims home today. So uh, I got to get in that garage and open up them boxes and pull that tree, go get the tree and all the other stuff, all the pomp and circumstance, all the stuff that as, as fathers and husbands, we really don't want to do, but we do it because it puts a smile on our family's faces. So uh, it's that day for me. So I'll try to do that and keep the phone nearby, watch the film. And then I'll finally get to that Benedict and Lenore Ryan film between tonight and tomorrow and get a chance to watch that game and see what happened in that game. And then it's SWAT Championship Week, baby. So Tallahassee getting ready to be on fire this week. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to breaking down a little bit more of that to see what, what can be expected in that game. But all in all, Dr. Cavill, man, bless the highly favored, man. Hey, man. Hey, hey John, uh, make sure you got make sure you know what the uh, broom and the dustpan is, because I don't care how good you pack it. Every time you open up all that Christmas stuff, there's something broken. And when you open up the box, now you got to go clean it up. So always make sure you know what the broom and the dustpan is when you open up those Christmas uh, decorations. When you, you know when you shake the box when you pick it up. <laughs> you shake the box. You can hear that. You can hear the broken ornaments right inside the box. It's like, oh man, I'm going to clean this box out and put a new box. So you're right, Drew. You're right. <laughs> the trials and tribulations of being a HBCU dad on Christmas. Absolutely. So Thursday, I had Brian and AD join us on Thanksgiving. Man, it was bountiful for me to see those brothers uh, show me love and get in there uh, as my family was traveling. So it was one of the first times in a while at Thanksgiving I got to sit down and really be thankful for what I have in terms of friends, colleagues, family, particularly in this HBCU, the Astro space, uh, what that looked like. So, But in the midst of that, we got a chance to not only do our analysis, one on the Turkey Day Classic, which we'll get into, uh, because it had just concluded. But then we also had a chance to break down the other three games that we were going to do, which was uh, the Bayou Classic and obviously the Division II playoffs with Benedict College that AD drew open with, up with and was actually participant in covering that as an analyst and play-by-play -play in terms of what he did. Great job. I got a chance to listen to that AD drew, both from Roy's side in terms of broadcasting and what y'all did 
uh, in the booth. With that being said, obviously, I got a chance to make sure I watch the North Carolina Central game as well as the Bayou. But with all that said, we went through a food series throughout the show. Oh, man. Fried turkey, baked turkey, all those oh, good things. Man. Sides and oh. stuff. Yeah, you you missed it. We'll, we'll find oh. a way to uh, do that again maybe around Christmas to kind of see and see what's different. But to kind of open things up, because you blessed us to kind of get inside the house, I can say the same thing. Yesterday, I went out and got a Christmas tree. Brought it back. So today will be the similar to us. But the first question, before we get into some good details about football, you know, we always have a chance to keep it light, particularly when we just have a uh, very um, small in terms of intimate crew in terms of it's going to be breaking down these things. So it sounds like you go with an artificial tree yeah. versus a live tree or yeah. fresh tree, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to ask A.D. Drew that question, but just verify, artificial versus live tree. Yeah, dog. I, yeah, dog. We, uh, yeah, yeah, in the Sims family house, man, we go with that artificial tree for two reasons, though, dog. We, when we first, when my wife and I first got married, Mm-hmm. We made a valiant effort to do live trees. Nice. I promise you. It was like a thing. Like she was like, no, I grew up on live trees. We got to go back. There. I almost thought she wanted me to turn into Paul Bunyan and go back there and chop down a tree myself. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, yo, like, all right, cool. Like we went did the whole thing. Take the pickup truck out. You go and you get your tree. You put that thing, you strap it down. And we did that for the first couple of years. And then we started noticing, as I'm sure most of you noticed, there's sometimes a stench that comes with them live trees. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's a ride of Valentine's Day. You feel me? And so we just kind of was like, you know, well, maybe we was going to the wrong place. Maybe we need to go somewhere else and get a tree. Some of these places might have a little better, a better smell to their trees than others. <laughs> man, we did that second year. It was like, oh, this is worse, man. And then the cleanup and all that stuff. And so... After that point, man, then, you know, you got to have it in water. You got to sit it in water. The water, get sometimes the bucket get a little messy. So uh, my wife, we literally just said, you know, hey, man, let's go artificial tree. You know, I mean, you know, the, the ornaments sometimes on the live tree, the ornaments might fall off late at night. You hear you hear a crash in the house. You think somebody <laughs> trying to break it. I mean, it's all types of stuff that led us to just say, you know what? Let's just go artificial tree. Let's try it for a while and see if we like it and we like it. So that's really the reason why we artificial tree at this point. I love it. I love it. When we humanize each other, particularly from our shows. With that being said, Drew, follow up. Artificial, alive, tree. As a youth uh, growing up in my mother's house, it, it, it was straight artificial tree. Matter of fact, my mother had that same tree from the moment I can remember decorating the tree until <laughs> sometime that I was in college before she finally bought a new tree, bro. <laughs> and I think that that we, we still on tree number two in my, in, in my mother's house. I haven't actually been in my mother's house over the Christmas holidays in, in a while, but yeah, I think she still has that second tree so two trees that I know of in 51 years. We gonna leave. We gonna leave that right there. But uh, I, I, you know, grew up. Uh, parents parents separated when I was uh, very uh, young. My father remarried, and 
his wife, my stepmother, did not believe in artificial trees. You're talking about somebody who still made pancakes from flour and buttermilk, homemade biscuits from scratch. You know, you know. You I, 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 I hate to say it, it when I wanted a home cooked meal when I was in college. You know, breakfast. Oh, that that was the house for breakfast. That's 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 all I'm gonna say. A good old fashioned breakfast. But because of those uh, values that she had growing up in Alabama, she wanted a real tree. And to this day, I think that she still does a real tree. I haven't been in either one of my parents' house during the holidays in a long time. Obviously, because I've had my own family and. When you, when you and Josh, you can attest to this. When you when you have smaller kids, it's hard doing Christmas in someone yeah. else's house. You want to be in your own house. Doctor Kabir, you can attest to this. Uh, uh, with Juice being still uh young in age, so Christmas, my, my house. Thanksgiving, I come to your house. Any other holiday, I come to your house. Christmas, we doing it. We doing this in my house though. So, and I do artificial. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I have to agree with that. With that being said, before we take our first break, let's get in these updates. We don't have a lot of games that were on the top seven. With that being said, number one, uh, we did have that playoff game. As in terms of seven, Tuskegee Golden Tigers, as you know, did not play. The Miles Golden Bears at six did not play. Johnson C. Smith, while they are in the Beach Bowl, uh, they did not play this weekend. Uh, you have number four, Virginia State Trojans did not play. And number three, Fayetteville State Broncos did not play. And the Virginia Union Panthers also did not play. The singular game we had was the Benedict Tigers that lost to the North Ryan, 35 to 25. Uh, you really got into it interesting for the first half, and then things got away in the second half. We'll go in a deeper dive in the second half of the show. Uh, they record at the end of the season as they fall to 11 and 1, 8 and all overall. In terms of the top seven, I only had one team in the top seven. We did have a matchup that featured nine and ten, uh, which was the Bayou Classic, where Southern takes down Grambling 27 to 12, just so you know. But in terms of the top seven, uh, seven through three did not play. That's Jackson State Tigers, Alabama State at six, Auckland State Braves at five, Prairie View and m Panthers at four. They will pick up and get on the road for a SWAT championship game next week. You have the Howard Bison that are waiting and uh, will be still practicing as they qualify as the MIAC entry into the Celebration Bowl as they punch their ticket, which means number two, the North Carolina Central Eagles lost to Richmond, Spiders 49-27. They fall to 9-3, and 4-1. Tough when you talk about that matchup, good for the first half. They fall. That's two losses in the last three games, uh, but in incredible season when you put up nine wins. Couldn't quite get to that 10th one. Boy, I know they would have loved to do that. But uh, as Joshua Sam said, that has really stuck with me is about this senior class and what it got done. But that being said, uh, the Florida A&M Rattlers, they did not play this week. Again, much like Prairie View, uh, they won the Eastern Division. They clinched before November. That's kind of got away from us now. Uh, with that being said, they will be hosting in Tallahassee, Bragg Memorial Stadium, where they like to say they brag different. The Florida a and Rattlers will host SWAT championship game, and we know the opponent, which is Prairie Bay and Panthers. They played earlier this year. 
But we'll see what the second matchup has in store. But that's next week talk. 10-1, 8-0 in terms of what the Rattlers do. With that being said, let's get into our first break. We'll come back on the other side, and we'll break down the playoff matchup between North Carolina Central and the Richmond Spiders. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this break. If you think all pads are exactly the same, think again. This is always Ultra Thin's reinvented with the always triple protection system. This pad wicks gushes 90% faster, absorbs even more so you can feel dry, and locks odors in. Rethink your pad for up to 100% leak-free and odor-free comfort with the totally reinvented always Ultra Thin's. This is always like never before. Are you hungry for authentic Caribbean food? Like jerk, chicken, oxtail, red snapper, shrimp, tofu, and rasta pasta? Well, find your way over to Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock in downtown Atlanta. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, open daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday, we're open till 4 a.m. Come to Mango's and put some spice in your life. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock in downtown Atlanta. For more info or directions, call 404-698-3992 or log on to mangoscaribbeanrestaurant.com. For instant coupons, text M-A-N-G-O-S to 313131. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, authentic Caribbean cuisine. Compress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna love, love, and who the ball. So listen to Professor Yes Sir and pay attention because he gon' teach a lesson. This is Dr. Bill inside the HBC Sports Lab with Mike Washington, Charles Bishop. As you see, my tag team partners are out. They're on the road traveling, getting back home. We wish everybody, including B.J. Jones and all the others that may be traveling back home, safe travels. And for those that have family that are sitting on the road, we say travels to them, along with A.D. Drew, as he will do the second half of his trip. But that being said, let's get into this matchup. We got a chance to really break this down. It's the singular game we'll look at in this segment, which is North Carolina Central Eagles that fall to the Richmond Spiders 49-27. Um as we went into this, we talked about the Eagles being able to get the best of the Colonial uh, with three wins this year. Uh, we talked about the Richmond Spiders being one and two against HBC programs, but they got hot at the end of the year. A shared Colonial championship known as the Coastal Athletic Association, or CAA. Now, Richard went 16-27, 262 yards, uh, a touchdown in the air. He had three on the ground, 18 carries for 51 yards. And that last one before they have, uh, we've seen him seem to get nicked up. So let's go before we break down this to talk a little bit about this. I know you may not be able to get into the specifics of the injury, but my question is for you, um, how do you believe the injury affected the Eagles, him particularly, and then the Eagles after that. He was able to get back in the game, so I do want to make sure that that is stated, which is obvious to everybody. Uh, but in terms of breaking down the film, watching it live, I had a little concern 
Um, he came back and played relatively well, but it didn't seem quite like itself. So I wanted to get your perspective of how he was after he tweaked or created, you know, at least a slight injury that he was able to get back in the game and play. Well, it was night and day. It was night and day. Uh, tr truth be told, man, you look at what happened from a productivity standpoint after that point. And, and for those of you, for those who are listening who don't know how complimentary football, I talk about it all the time, complimentary football. The offense has an effect on the defense. The defense has an effect on the offense. They both have an effect on special teams, and special teams has an effect on all of them. That's complimentary football. When you have a person whose your offensive productivity is over 80%, is weighed on one person, right? And I talked about this multiple times, Doc, and you've heard me talk about it on HBCU Nightly here on the lab, in the lab. I talk about the fact that this is why he's the most dynamic dual threat quarterback in all of college football, because of the level of offensive productivity that he requires, that he adheres to. And so when you look at that, and you look at him going down in score, while scoring a touchdown, nonetheless, I mean, this injury happens while scoring a touchdown. Somebody from Richmond's team runs in while he's trying to score a touchdown and goes low on him on his toward his ankle, which should have been a personal foul. And then he lands very, very awkwardly. And from the moment we all see him, I'm talking about inside the stadium, we all look and see he lands awkwardly. And we all become concerned. Everybody becomes concerned. Everybody, whether it's the offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, position coach, the person at the managers, everybody that is there becomes concerned because you can see we all saw how like really bad he landed and, and without getting into details about what the actual injury ended up being, you see a completely different shift in how we have to call plays, how we have to make decisions, what we have to do in those situations. We roll Walker Harris out who will be, who will be the guy next year going forward. But we walk, roll walk Walker Harris out in a very situation like we did against Howard. You roll him out there for one series. First down, you have a run play, get some positive yards. Second down, you throw the ball. Bat, ball gets batted down, almost intercepted. Third down, you throw out route that was there, but just a little bit off on timing, and you punt. These are the small details of what happens in a game with an offense who was basically looking virtually unstoppable up until that injury with Davies. I mean, they could not stop North Carolina Central. Plus, you got to think about it, the situation, and I know we're going to talk about it, but the situation that put North Carolina Central in a situation where you score inside of three plays is because they go, Richmond goes for a fake punt, North Carolina Central stops the, stops the fake punt, and in three plays, they punch it in the end zone with a short field. So you look at all of those factors, that offense was looking virtually unstoppable up until that injury. You yeah, have that injury. It completely changes how you have to call plays because as a play caller, when you know that maybe the things that you would like to do, you're no longer actually able to do those things because one part of the threat of this player is not necessarily there anymore, it changes it. But you have to give kudos to this young warrior, man. This, this young man is a gladiator, man. To walk back into that game and finish that game and go out on this shield is what I want to make sure we command about this young brother. Is because there was no way in the world he was going to let his teammates down yesterday and not play in this game. And so when you look at the overall semblance of the game and how it affects you come out of the second half, still banged up, 
have a three and out. I mean, it just, it just, it totally drastically changed the trajectory of this game. That injury does not happen, which was a preventable injury. He was walking into the end zone, walking into the end zone. One of the Richmond players goes low. For those of y'all who don't have a chance, go watch Raekwon Smith. If you have it on Twitter, go to Raekwon Smith's Twitter and you'll see the footage live and in living color from the front end zone, front part of the end zone. And you'll see he's going into the end zone, walking into the end zone. And one of the Richmond players goes low at his ankles. He lands awkwardly. And the entire game changes from that point going forward. Before I go to you, AD Drew, to get your analysis in, and like I said, we'll go back and forth. We got a little time to get, to get into this matchup, specific plays. Um, you talk about Walker, and this is not an indictment on him because he didn't get the full snaps during the week, which is a right. total different quarterback as we saw what he was able to do against Mississippi Valley earlier this year uh, when he got the lion's share of, of the snaps in terms of that week uh, due to a slight injury uh, in regards to Richard at that time. But when he came in, uh, in the quick three and out, it was fortunate that he didn't get a touchdown. They could have been a big six. Uh, but they end up getting the ball back in enough time to score before the half. Crucial defense. Uh, couldn't quite get off the field. Uh, the fourth down snap would have, would have been too far, I think, uh, for them to even kick a field goal. They probably would have tried it. So uh, that was there. And then they score on the third down and go essentially to take a uh, – to go in – one score down, which gave him some momentum in terms of what that looks like. I thought that was a huge series because if you don't have the injury, Rich is in there. Well, they may not have scored, but it's hard to think that they would have went three and out, which means you're taking that time off the clock, which is a whole different game when you go in up two scores, a fully healthy quarterback. So it's fascinating when you get into the X's O's and watch films about a game. And sometimes if you just look at the box score, you see one thing. And it's not to say that you can't glean some stuff from the box scores, uh, but it is necessary when we get a chance to break down and talk to um, those that support us in terms of watching the show, fans, or those that are just in football that may not have, for whatever reason, the chance to see it. And all they were doing was supporting and watching the score and things didn't go right. So with that being said, it's fascinating when you see that kind of stuff. Uh, let me go to you, Drew, before I come back to Joshua and, and get some follow-up with that. Uh, in terms of the totality of the game, was 506 in terms of total yards, 330. Um, that's one reason I'd like to be at the game because I would have been able to get the halftime stats, which gives you a uh, framework of the two halves, which, uh, you know, <clears throat> unless you can get the total stats, you don't necessarily get the halftime stats. Uh, with that being said, A.D. Drew, what were your thoughts in terms of the game? As you said, there were different parts where you got to get in there and see uh, different things. What were you seeing as you watched the game? Well, obviously, I did not actually get a chance to start viewing the game until the, the second half. And haven't had a chance to watch the game in its totality yet. So Josh on here telling me that Richard got hurt in the first half now explain what I saw in the second half and why I saw it. Picking the game up in the third quarter, I was I was unaware of the early injury to to Richard. Now, 
I, but I do have a question, says, and I and I don't want to uh, do this game a disservice because I have not uh, really watched this game, studied this game, and have that's done great. no more than than look at a box score and a put and the play by play that's available online. So, Josh, I have to ask you this, especially as a former football player. Uh, obviously, we know the the warrior that Richard is wanted to get back out there and play, but. Would that have been one of those games, despite how good he is, to possibly, okay, you're, you're too hurt where you're now hurting the team instead of helping the team with your presence out there and letting the backup take the lion's share of the snaps in, in that case? And real bullets firing at you. How tough is it to make that decision on the fly because this man got you here. You would not be here without this man, but he may be hurting us at this point in time in the game. So Josh, I'll open it up and let you comment on that. Yeah. Yeah. Drew, man, you, that is a, that's a, that's a heck of a hell of a question, man. And I I ain't even gonna lie to you. That is literally um, as as I was assessing the film, and for those of y'all, I, I said this, I say this all the time. I, I watch film, I watch film, and watch the game as if I'm still on the sidelines, coach. Right? It, it's it's my it's my um, it's not even a passion for me as much as it is. It almost feels like a natural component of like the human being that I am. And and. I see things when I watch film and when I'm watching the game in real time, I see things that is sometimes almost like a sixth sense for me. It's I, I can see it happening in real time. And then I, a lot of times before it happens, I'm able to see exactly. And then after seeing it happen in real time, I'm able to literally, my brain automatically goes back to what I saw in real time when I watched the film. And I'm always, and one of the only things I can always do when I sit down and watch the film is go, And I want to make sure I preface this statement because I don't want, man, I love this program and I love that young man. And I'm going to obviously continue to support him, this program and everything. And because I've been in them moments before, both as a player and a coach, I know how difficult it is to make this decision in that moment. It is darn near impossible. I'm always likening football to boxing where you have a guy and you're like, man, he is the reason why we the heavyweight champion of the world. And he's facing a opponent right now. Something happened in the middle of the fight. He might've gotten stung body shot jab, just hit him the wrong way. Something happened to the team. You just don't know. And as a trainer, you kind of like, do I throw in the white, do I throw in the towel or do I let this young man go out on his shield? And so in that moment, it is so easy for me to say, Drew, after having seen the game in real life, yeah, after having watched the film multiple times, it would be so easy for me to say, man, we should have rolled three out there for the second half. Promise you, man. For those who don't know, your coordinators and your position coaches that are up in the booth, they come down at halftime. They come down from out of the booth at halftime. You have enough time in that time for you to be able to say, okay, we got to make this adjustment. Let's go here. 
how do you do that to the greatest player that's ever put on this maroon and gray? How do you do that to not even arguably at this point? Not even arguably. This kid, this young man, in the four years he's been in North Carolina Central, has accomplished more than any other quarterback we've seen run out of that tunnel in the history of North Carolina Central football since we've been playing football since the 1920s. How do you, as Trey Oliver, as Matt Leone, as, as his position coaches, as the athletic director, as a liaison, because ultimately I'm a liaison and I'm standing right there. How do I go to him and say, coach, you need to run out three? How? And as in it, what's the crazy part, Drew, is it was in the back of everybody's mind. <laughs> It was in the back of every person's mind, whether they articulated it or said it or anything. It was in the back of everybody. He had accomplished enough in that first half for us to not even have to have no conversations. Yeah. Maybe Walker, maybe Walker can manage the game, the rest of the game, and we end up now we having a conversation today about what I know about Walker Harris is HBCU world. You gonna have a problem these next two years. I walked up to that young man last night before we walked off the stadium and I, in, in imaginary, I handed him the keys to the Ferrari and I told Walker yesterday and gave him a hug and I said, you have the keys to the Ferrari. You bring it back with a full tank of gas, vacuumed out with no blemishes, no scratches on this vehicle. You are in control of this Ferrari now. And he understood the assignment. Nice. What, was yesterday, what was yesterday the time for us to give him a test drive on the Ferrari? I'm going. Hold on, Drew. Hold on, Drew. I'm going to give you a chance to call it back in the second part of this um, because I know we're getting ready to get into this break um, because we're up on it. But I do want to talk about Devin Smith, who had a huge game and came to play. um, And so, as we analyze some of the other stuff, I think it's fair. But I do want to highlight Devin Smith: six receptions for 202 yards and a touchdown. A big play um, that got them uh, got him on the board in terms of that uh, tip pass and then run for a touchdown. Beautiful play in that. But he played well all that game. So talk a little bit about Devin Smith, what makes him special, and uh, the excitement you've seen with him having uh, one of his better games in the playoffs. Doc, I've known this kid since he was 11 years old. Mm. I met this young man when he was in the sixth grade. He's laughing, getting ready to turn 12. So I've known this young man his darn near more than half of his life. And this is the type of young man he is. And I'm going to keep it real. He really had two touchdowns yesterday. He yeah. broke one all the way, half his body in his own ref say he's short at the half yard mark. Uh, really I, I looked at the replay and it was clear that he got in. I was first. I said, here we go with these kind of calls. I just, it's I crazy, know. man. It, it was crazy. But 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 that was I expected him to step up in moments like that. And that was a sweet play when he cut across there and got that catch, did the move mm. and fought, and then got as we see it, got into the end zone. They marked got that ghost. Out. It was got ghost. But he's he's that type of he's that type of young man. I expect that. And he's back. That entire receiving core is back next year, led by Devin Smith, who was first team all me this year. They all back next year with a pocket. Last question I have for you. I know you had to get to your family, and we promised we'd get you there. Um, Drew and I will take it from there, and then I'll allow Drew to really get in his comments because I know he wants to provide a a framework that was different there. 
Last thing I want to talk about is a little bit about the defense. And I just want to see what your thoughts in terms of this was. Um, As I've started to notice that this is a talent defense. They play in a different style. They're a little lean in terms of what they're on the front. Um, So they're quick and fast. They make plays. Um, Oftentimes they're really good about getting off tackles and making those plays. Uh, but they seem to play better from being in front. Uh, then you have to ask them to make plays when things may not be um, going in their way in terms of the team leading. What is your synopsis of, of this team and where they may be going to take the next step to be a better defense? Because um, I, I won't say they're not a championship defense. Hell, they won a championship last year, right? right? Uh, they were – we don't do co-championships in the MEAC, but they had the same record Howard. They lost that matchup. So you have um, same records in terms of a championship level defense in the conference this year. Yeah. Uh, made it to the playoffs. What are your thoughts on that? And, I mean, all, everybody knows this. Well, no, I, I got to stop saying that, that everybody knows this. I think we know this. The contingent of people who understand this game of football is there's, there's such thing in football, specifically on the defensive side, called attrition. There's a there's a finite number, and I talked about this uh, before. There's a finite number of plays or series that a defense can be able to play and acquiesce at before, like it doesn't matter. The offense is just going to be a little bit too overwhelming on that. For some defenses, it's it's opposite attrition, right? Like they start off so slow that they never put themselves in a position to be able to get to that point of like finite attrition. But for this defense, this defense and is the you, complete opposite. And defense kind of defines that. More exactly. State and Alabama State, just to give some examples. Opposite attrition. So for us, so for North Carolina Central, this defense normally come, always comes out fast and strong. And that's because in most situations, our offense is clicking. Outside of the Campbell game and the UCLA game, our offense is always clicking to get going. You know, and so we are in a lot of situations we're ahead. And it is as a defense, as a defensive minded coach or a defense coordinator or defense in general, it is easier to make play calls and, and really pin your ears back situational defensive play calls. It is much easier to do it like that. And then field position obviously plays a, a role into that as well. But I have not figured out where's our point of attrition. And this group is still young enough. A large contingency of this group will be back next year, as well as the depth. And so I haven't been able to pinpoint where's our point of attrition. What I will say, Doc, is mm-hmm. I've never seen in football, and I've been watching this since I was a baby, I've never seen the effect that a quarterback has on a defense's point of attrition. <laughs> I've never seen... Like, all jokes aside, you can see a resemblance of when something happens with the offensive productivity ran through by Davius Richard, its effect on the defense's point of attrition. I've never seen that ever. And and that is a – that's something to monitor for all programs going forward because somebody else's program going to have them an all-world, you know, know, program-defining quarterback at some point as well too. And so – I don't know. I've never seen that before. You know, Davies go down, defense, the defensive attrition start to happen. You know, a couple injuries start happening. You like, it didn't start happening until, you know, like, and I start seeing it. And, and I guess for me, it gets, goes back to that sixth sense. I start like, yo, I, 
I see this and something is happening, but I don't want to say it. I don't want to put it out there into the into the universe or into the world. But man, this defense was really good. It is fluent. It is a different style defense. And shout out to Coach Courtney Court, uh, who's a big brother of mine, man. Our defensive coordinator, who I think is going to be considered for some head coaching spots as we get to this carousel this offseason. Um, but Man, they're young, man, and they got a lot of these guys coming back next year. And I'm hoping that this defense will continue to be as aggressive as they were, get a, get back healthy, and be able to take care of business next year as we did, as they did for the majority of this season. Christmas ornaments as you decorate the tree. Do you have HBCU ornaments on your tree? Absolutely. You know, I got I got an eagle, and I got an NCCU big old NCCU bowl like it's. Big old NCCU bowl, yes. Maroon, it's a beautiful ornament, man. Drew, I, do I you have a project uh, going there? HBCU What's that? ornaments on your tree? I, I do have a fan view and a Tuskegee uh, ornament. I was going to ask Josh, how many of those uh, old uh, art projects do you have hanging up on the tree also? Listen, I have a first grade. I have a first grade. I officially have a first grader in my home. Right. So, because I have a first grader in my home, he everything turns into a art project or something to be able to turn. So I definitely got some old project stuff that we have up there. Just art project stuff he just made up. And you ask, you know, y'all know this. You ask him, well, what is it? Well, it's a balance between contemporary art and a uh, figurative speech of art. There's a five-year-old, right? That's their way of saying it. I don't know. Man, we're going to let you get out of here. <laughs> Happy birthday, Chuck. Let's take a second break. We'll come back on the other side. We'll get into the Alabama State Tuskegee game, which did play this week on Thursday, uh, as I was incorrectly stating when I broke down the games. Uh, Tuskegee did have a game, and it didn't go their way, 41-3 to in terms of this. We don't have to get back into that game. We'll touch on it then in the second <laughs> half as we let A.D. Drew come back and give his thoughts in terms of that great question he had. With that being said, Joshua M. Sr., thanks for giving us some insight in this Sunday morning. Uh, continue to do the great work um, from, for those that support. Remember on Wednesday, HBC Nightly, they had a quick one last night. It was not recorded, so you had to be there. So I apologize for those that didn't get live. They were in it. They had uh, great analysis, as always, in terms of having some fun speaking about HBC sports. With that being said, stick with us. We'll be right back after this break. As technology continues to bring changes to the world of education, it's time we also reimagine teacher professional development. Gone are the days of one-size-fits-all learning that can only be accessed at a specific time and place. The Stride PD Center is an on-demand library of mobile-friendly courses that allow educators to learn anytime and anywhere. Our dynamic courses provide bite-sized learning and help educators advance their knowledge while also gaining professional development hours. The best professional development plans are those that include a level of flexibility and choice for educators. Whether you're a teacher, school, or district, visit us today to take charge of your learning. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, 
and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay. Call Cuvay. When you're looking for the latest information on Southern University Sports, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and HBCU Athletics, there's only one place to go. Tune in to the Carlos Brown Show, exclusively on the Black College Sports Network. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCU Pride Joy on Facebook and Twitter. You see, Head & Shoulders has scalp shield technology, protects against flakes even between washes. It's never not working. Kind of like us. We're never not working. Number 15? That's my rub. Ooh, nice. Never not working. Never, ever, never, ever not working. Welcome, everybody, to Juneau, Alaska. I don't like this one. Me neither. Let's get out of here. Dandruff protection that's never not working. Head & Shoulders scalp shield technology. Impress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they wanna love that and who the ball. So listen to Professor Yes Sir and pay attention because he gon' teach a lesson. This is Dr. Bill with Inside HBC Sports Lab, and yeah, it's that time. Uh, I see you made the appropriate change. I was wondering what you were waiting on. Uh, and, and we will touch on that a little bit, but uh, we'll say most of this good talk between the Prairie View A&M uh, Panthers and the Florida A&M Rattlers for the SWAT Championship game 2023, to be exact, to see who clicks the ticket for Atlanta and the Cricket Wireless Celebration Bowl 2023, for that matter. But that being said, I know you wanted to provide an insight of how tough that call is in different ways of an example of where it came out, where you made the call and it works out and it works out big. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, if, uh, if we don't have a three and out by, by central in that uh, once the quarterback switch was made, with Walker with a almost pick six thrown during that process. I think the mindset of the coaches changed. You know, I've been I've been in that situation as a coach and you know, like I said, this man got you here, but sometimes it's clear that the person who got you there may be hurting you because of a physical limitation that is not their fault at that point in time. And I think back to about Five years ago, four years ago, Dr. Cavill, when you had, and we, we don't like to talk about uh, non-HBCU football here on this show, but I need to use it to bring out this analogy, and a coach love him or hate him, Nick Saban, in University of Alabama, Jalen Hurts, had led the University of Alabama to a national championship, a la Davius Richard, but in the SEC championship game, you know, things were not going right for the University of Alabama, and they were trailing, 
at the half. So what happens? We go from number two to number 13, take it over for the University of Alabama, a.k.a. Tua Tugavailoa. And Roy, our producer, loves this because we've seen how he's done uh, as he's gone on to professionals, but he goes and then he wins the national championship the next year with Jalen Hurts as the backup, and then they go on again. And those two, for the next couple of years, for that, for that final year, Hurts becomes Tua's backup. And obviously, uh, we know Hurts uh, left eventually with the program and went on to the University of Oklahoma, and we've seen the uh, success that both of these guys have had on the professional level. But that change can be made with success uh, because the coaches know what they have in a backup, and it's not like this is the first time Walker Harris had ever been out on the field because he did have a start earlier this year, and he has played a lot. Although uh, mop-up duty and garbage time is a little bit different than a playoff game, but we did you know uh, Walker Harris has some uh, some type of history, and maybe he just needed a moment to uh, to uh, j- just get loose and get the blood flowing. So I just wanted to throw that out there for people to to contemplate, and it's easy on Sunday morning to sit back and say could have, would have, should have as armchair mm. quarterbacks that we all are on Sunday mornings. Good point. Great points uh, when you talk about that. I also wanted to uh, talk a little bit about this because we'll give a little touch on the Alabama State Golden Tigers, but we did break that down really well in terms of Thursday. So you can go back and check out the Thursday show if you want to get that <clears throat> breakdown. Uh, but I'll give you a chance to give any final thoughts. Before we do that, I know people are concerned with HBCU programs losing into playoffs, whether it's Division Two, FCS, uh, Division One, and certainly understand that angst. Uh, but I always say some of it's about the numbers uh, in regards to that. There were eight other playoff games, or seven other playoff games, eight total, I should say, at the Division uh, Two level for that matter, and certainly FCS. And there were four teams that lost. Of those four teams that lost, three of them were historically white college universities. Um, it's so, not the same. It's not right. the same. It's, 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 it's not the same microscope. It's not the same microcosm no, as like HBCUs. I'm saying okay. exactly. We focus on HBCUs, uh, but sometimes it's a number game. Uh, just pure per point I'm making is is that there were three other teams that lost. They happened to be HBC HWCUs. Now they right. played other HBCUs, so HBCU. there's going to be one that wins and one that loses. Uh, so if you had as many HBCUs in the playoffs, the percentage changes just because of the pure attrition numbers. You don't have as many HBCUs. You have 21 HBCUs that play football at the FCS Division One level. You know how many FCS programs are out there? 128 football? total. 128. So you're talking about a percentage of the percentage. So those are some things that we have to understand, even though our passion lays in terms of focus on HBCUs. 
the numbers dictate that you're not going to likely have success just from that perspective, uh, if you will. And, so and here's why the numbers. Two levels, uh, yeah. you have that as well in terms of those numbers. Go ahead. And, he, and here's why the numbers uh, are not in our favor. Because the HBCUs, Dr. Kabil, for lack of a better word, are one bid leagues. SIEC typically is a one bid league. CIAA typically is a one bid league. The BIAC or the SWAC is a lucky if you get in because they do not have a bid. So I call that a lucky if you get in league. So when you face with that, uh, when you face with that situation versus a CAA who has three, four teams, a Missouri Valley who has three, four teams, a Gulf South on the Division Two level who has three teams, a SAC who has three teams, a PSAC who has three teams. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. The numbers are going to favor if I, just like when you go and play the lottery, Dr. Kavil, if you buy one lottery ticket, your chances of winning are a lot smaller than if you go out and buy 50 lottery tickets. You've increased your chances of winning the lottery. And it's the same thing when it comes to to this football. We've only got one ticket, whereas our neighbor down the road has, has multiple tickets. That's all I'm saying. Appreciate it. The other thing this gives me a chance to lean into the D2 playoff uh, where obviously Benedict lost and we'll break down that game. But uh, since we're talking about it in totality, uh, you have Valdosta State, Delta State. No, they're not HBCUs. Valdosta State, which was three in the region, uh, faces Delta two, Delta State, that was two in the region. And you lined this up perfectly when you said the Coastal South Conference. Uh, Valdosta State won 38 to 31. I know everybody's saying, like, Kabil, this is HBCU sports. You stick that and focus on that. Guess who's coaching Valdosta State? Tremaine Jackson, hey, HBCU grad. graduate, to be specific, Texas Southern University. And they have made it to the quarterfinals. And they will face off against Lenore Ryan. Lenore Ryan that beat Benedict in terms of that matchup. So with that being said, let's get into that matchup in terms of what you saw. You were there uh, in terms of Lamar, Ryan, and that matchup. And Benedict was right there in that game, uh, 1.21-19 in terms of what it looked like. Give us your assertion of what took place in that matchup. It was was an interesting matchup. Benedict had the ball first to open the game. Uh, don't actually remember who won the coin toss, but one of the factors, and Brian brought this out on, I believe that was Thursday's show that we were together, uh, Dr. Kavir, when he says Ryan is 11-0 and when they score first. And that was one of the things that I brought out in our pregame show. Pay attention with Benedict getting the ball first. Do they score on this opening drive? And Benedict had the opportunity to score on the opening drive. And I don't think it's reflected in the stats, but the field goal attempt was deflected at the line of scrimmage and thus fell short, which gave Lenore Ryan the ball. And they proceeded to watch down on the field, watch down the field and score and go up seven to nothing on Benedict. Now, 
What 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 does a championship team do at that point, Dr. Fabia? They are they gonna fold I, or they're gonna respond. Yeah, and they answered. They answered with the 87 yard touchdown score to uh to to Harden to uh Reg, to Reginald Harden. Lenore Ryan sold out. Blitz sent eight men, cover zero. Harden made them pay. 87 yards later, he hits Pater to bring the score to 76. But, and as, as we pull the, uh, the highlights up, but what, what happened on the next play, the one that everyone assumes is going to happen, the PAT, Dr. Kabir, bad snap on the PAT. And instead of going fire drill, the they actually still tried to kick the ball. The ball is blocked. You got to yada yada. At that point, you should have just got up five drill. Just get just get what you can at that point. So mm-hmm. now Benedict is in the position of chasing points. Important on how 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 the game turned because they are chasing points. Uh, Benedict happened to go up again. Uh, let's see. I want who, who scored that? I'm trying to. I got to go back and look at it. Uh, I'll break it down. I had that I was going to do that uh, in terms of the box score. Um, yeah. After the first quarter, Benedict leads 12-7. Um, All right, so Benedict did score next. Let, let, let me stop you right there before you keep going. The thing was, at that point, when they scored that second touchdown, I asked the question, do you go for the two now or do you wait until later to go for the two? That question was answered. Benedict went for the two at that point, and did not get the two points. So now they are really chasing points at that point in time in the in the game. Continue on, Dr. Kabir. Great point. Um, second quarter, it was 7-7. So you go in the half, uh, Benedict leading 19-14. Uh, fourth, third quarter is where it gets away a bit, uh, where Lenore Ryan puts up 14 and Benedict is not able to answer with any points, 14, nothing. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, uh, you have a 7-6 uh, score. So the ultimate final score, as everybody knows, is Lenore Ryan, 35, Benedict, 25. Correct, correct. And uh, once again, Benedict fails not one, not two, but three PAT opportunities, Dr. Kabir. Special teams let Benedict down, which put them in a in a uh, position to be chasing points for the remainder of the game. But even with the 19 to 14 halftime lead, Benedict still did not did not look good. It was it was big plays for Benedict. Whereas Lenore Ryan was able to Benedict would stop Lenore Ryan first down, second down but could not get them off the field on third down versus on the other side where Lenore Ryan was able to get Benedict off the field. I believe at one point in the fourth uh, quarter, Dr. Gabriel, Benedict was like 2 of 13 or 2 of 14 on fourth down conversions going into going into the fourth quarter. Oh, excuse me, on third down conversions going into the, uh, into the fourth quarter, which means your defense is out on the field a lot of times where at one point in time, Lenore Ryan was well over 50% on 
on third down, which means they're able to sustain drives. And Lenore Ryan, just like they did last week. uh, Lenore Ryan had 24 first downs. Benedict just 16 in terms of uh, those uh, breakdowns, as you said. Yeah. Uh, Lenore Ryan, third quarter, just dominated the third quarter. They only scored 14 points, but it seemed like they scored a heck of a lot more in the in the third quarter. Uh they they got their run they got their run game going. Uh when have you ever seen Benedict give two, up 200 yards to one individual as they did to Dwayne McGee? Uh gave up 216 yards on the ground to one individual. And la- last thing, Dr. Cabrillo, fourth quarter with Benedict essentially trailing by three scores. Let's keep something in mind. And SIAC, I need you to help out our opponents. Benedict has dominated the SIAC over the past two years. Dr. Kavir, at no point can you really recall Benedict trailing in the fourth quarter this season where they've had to come from behind to win. The closest thing was Miles. Other than that, Miles. Uh, and the close thing was Miles, but they came and took command of that game late in the third quarter, early into the fourth quarter. They did not have yeah, to Yeah, but remember, they, they, had that, they answered that drive. Miles went ahead in the fourth quarter, and they actually scored uh, to go ahead. Uh, in right. That. So they had to come from behind in that game, in the fourth. Right. But I, I guess my point is, that was early in the fourth quarter where they were able to get the lead, and then Cruise to victory, not having to come behind in the last four to five minutes of the fourth quarter and get a quote unquote game winning drive. So you saw a very uncomfortable Benedict offense in those last couple of possessions taking much time because they had not had those live bullets playing under that type of pressure, trying to get not one, but two scores. And they were. Honestly, Dr. Greer, they were moving the ball like they had the lead, uh, getting one of those, getting one of those three scores that they needed at that point in time in the game, Dr. Greer. Yeah, one of the things I also notice in these playoff games, um, sometimes you can be a pure pass team, but you have to have the ability to run. They couldn't really run the ball. They were 30 uh, uh, for 97 yards, uh, just 2.2 average. While Lauren Ryan was able to really be pretty effective in running the ball, 42 attempts for 287 yards. That's six and average in terms of total team. Dwayne McGee had 220 yards himself on 21 carries. Did get in the end zone. In terms of being effective with the pass, though, um, uh, Aeneas Dennis was 17 to 29 for 376 yards. Did have the four touchdowns. Had an interception. Uh, Sean White. Uh, for Lenore Ryan was 27-35, 310 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Benedict defense uh, did make some big plays here and there. They had four sacks, uh, while Lenore Ryan had five sacks in terms of that. So uh, big plays receiving-wise was uh, for Benedict. Reginald Hart had 230 yards, uh, six receptions, got in the end zone on three. He had the long of 87, big play, and Caden High. Got in there as well and put up 102 yards on six receptions 
with a touchdown, just to give you some uh, analysis there. Uh, Lenore Ryan, Kellen Parson had 103 yards uh, on six receptions, just to give you some indication of some highlights of some players, particularly in that game. Fascinating matchup, not to be, but they were right there in terms of that mix. Any final thoughts on that game? No, uh, like I said, the, the big thing is, and I sent you the uh, post-game presser, uh, Dr. Kavir, very uh, good notes there by, uh, by, by Coach uh, there uh, at the end. Humbled, like they said, we, we, did, we did not lose. We learned from the game. Unfortunately, for this Benedict team, they do not have another opportunity with this group of guys to go and show what they had learned from this particular game. And it's tough when your only loss of the season for the last two years has been your last game of the year. But I am much more impressed with their playoff performance in 2023 than I was with that playoff performance in 2022. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because it's obviously that Benedict is building something there. One of the things that they had on the D2 football HBCU talk last night that got into that matchup is the number of SIC teams that offer the full 36 scholarships are right after. And the estimation, Benedict is one of them, but there are only maybe four or five probably six at the max other um, SIC programs that offer the full 36, which gets into some of your concern about those other institutions that can provide some more um, complimentary uh, football during the season uh, to tighten up Benedict for a playoff run. So that's something to think about that I always think that we need to consider when we talk about these matchups and what they look like is, you know, are we doing everything on our side? And when I say we, I'm talking about our HBCU program. Are they putting the coaches uh, and the players in the best position in terms of being able to offer the full allotment uh, for the competitiveness of your program? Sometimes that's out of your control in regards to what you can do. You can do what you do. But uh, we need to be educated in terms of understanding that perspective. With that, let's get into our last break. We'll come back on the other side, give our final analysis of the Bayou Classic, and then uh, we'll call it a show. Stick with us after this next break, last break. T. Madden & Associates is a sophisticated and experienced law firm located in your neighborhood. We're turning injury to cash. T. Madden & Associates obtained almost $2 million for my injury. They turned my injury to cash. Now, we can't guarantee how much your injury is worth, but we've recovered millions for our clients. Call T. Madden & Associates at 833-PAID-123. That's 833-PAID-123. This is Ryan Fulford. A.D. Drew and I are co-hosts of the BCSN Sports Wrap. We talk about all things related to HBCU athletics. From the games, teams, coaches, and fan interest stories, we cover it all. You can find our shows on Facebook at BCSN Sports Wrap, YouTube at MyJBN Online, and everywhere you listen to podcasts like Anchor, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find the show on the Jericho Broadcast Network's app. Make sure to download. We look forward to you joining the conversation and being a part of the show.
Impress the analytic data with your hip hop. If you know them like I know them, they gon' tell you if your team, if they want a lot left. And who the ball? Who the ball? So listen to Professor Yesler yes, and pay attention because he gonna teach a lesson. This is Dr. Bill with Inside the HBC Sports Lab. We're gonna go into our last match of the Bayou Classic. It certainly was an entertaining game, if you can't say anything else. It went down to the last play, a fourth and goal, uh, where ultimately Southern was able to get the stop and hold Grambling out of the end zone and become victorious. They finished the season six and five, five and three, while Grambling falls to five and six, four and four. Uh, obviously, a lot of the headlines is this was the 50th uh annual bayou classic and we have the trivia question um and you'll need to find out if you don't know i might let ad drew sneak and tell you that uh but we'll give you a chance to kind of answer that yourself what is the trivia question in terms of the head coach that won you know his second bayou classic happened to being the acting interim coach with that being said a lot of the conversation was noah botton getting his first start of the season he was 13 for 26, 231 yards, one touchdown, but a beautiful touchdown that he threw, but a costly interception that uh, really put Grambling, if you would, back in the game after Southern had dominated and was leading uh, 21-7 in terms of that matchup where it looked like it was over as it went to 27-7 before the vaunted comeback by Grambling to their credit. With that being said, Miles Crawley has kind of dipped. He was so hot at the beginning of the year, the Grambling offense, and they haven't been there of late. He continued to struggle in many ways. He was 19 of 30 for just 183 yards, did not have a passing touchdown, um, and had one costly interception itself. A shout-out to Petrie, the third, the law uh, student, uh, four reception, 118 yards, big 18 yards, big catches. Uh, in terms of getting it done for Southern. They were also able to run with rhymes, 18 carries, 103 yards, and got in the end zone twice. Um, I want to shout out Chalk, the fourth, 22 carries for 172 yards and a touchdown as well. With that being said, I kind of give you some of the data points to start there, A.D. Drew. Uh, what direction are you going in terms of your thoughts on this 50th anniversary? of the Bayou Classic in New Orleans. This is one where stats do lie, Dr. Gaville. That's the best <laughs> way of putting this uh, game. Because when you look at the stat sheet for this particular matchup, you wonder how in the hell does Southern win this game? What am I talking about, Dr. Gaville? Grambling, 25 first down. Southern, 13 first down. Grambling rushes for 249 yards. Southern only rushes for 86 yards. Grambling with respect to 183 yards, but when you compare that to 231, that's really not a, a, a big margin. Total offense, 432. Grambling, 317. Southern turnovers were even uh, one each. Both both teams uh, did the soft squad of zero in the red zone. Southern 204. Grambling 205. Uh, uh, you know, how does Grambling lose this game? Third down, Grambling, 5 of 14. Southern, 3 of 10. You know, 
uh, Graham gets the only uh, fourth down conversion in the game. That was one of three where Southern was on one. How do you lose this game, you Jackson, when you dominate the stats? So, Dr. Camille, as much as we love to give you uh, 80 new time of possession, Ramlin 35.15 and Southern <laughs> just 24.45. So, great point. As, as much as we love data analytics on this show, Dr. Camille, <laughs> the data is incorrect with our final analysis. Final analysis, Southern had a little bit more. And Coach Terrence Graves, some way, somehow, in this game, the he's only coach, he's only been head coach for two games, Dr. Caville. Bro, give me let me give you advice, uh, Coach Graves. Retire now. You have nowhere to go but down. <laughs> You're two and oh on the largest platform, and I don't care what you say about any uh, of the other classes. No disrespect to any other classes. On the largest classic platform that we have out there, you are 2-0, and and the only person here is the answer to your trivia question, everybody, to win both sides of this classic. Brother Brother Graves, get uh, get your NIL, get your endorsement deal, whatever you want to do, and Live off of this for the rest of your life, my brother. Oh, great point. I love it. Um, as you talk about this, as the granddaddy of all of some would say, just under 65,000 fans in attendance, 64,698 to be exact. Um, the capacity of the Superdome, Caesar Superdome now in the Mercedes Stadium is 73,000. So 89%. Uh, in terms of the betting odds on ESPN bet, the line was set at Gremlin at a minus 1.5 over and under was 49.5. <laughs> Guess what the score total was? 49. 27 to 22. Some people were shaking their heads when Gremlin could not get in the game. <laughs> like, don't let Brian hear this one. Man. I want to hear what Brian says tonight. On, on yeah, that's the only reason and, I shared it. That's why I shared it because I know Brian, <laughs> Brian is going to go crazy and talk about and, that. But um, fast. That means Magic ahead. City is the, Magic City is the clubhouse leader when it comes to attendance for uh, all classics of this year with the Bayou coming in a very respectable second place, and that would place the Florida Classic number three, and I'm going off the top of my head thinking about these uh, numbers, Dr. Caville. Really? Am I correct you're on that? It. Yeah, you're on it. On it. You're on yeah. it. Very yeah. good analysis uh, with that being said. We'll say... State Fair will be number four. Yeah, yeah. So the SWAC is doing what it does in terms of attendance continuing being there. But you're right. This was one of the weird games when you look at your stats. Uh, Grambling was able to go up and down the field, but were not effective in terms of scoring. Obviously, uh, if you don't take out the interception, it becomes even worse. They got a two-point conversion uh, in that game when the punter for Southern uh, had a low snap, went down to uh, pick the ball to make sure it doesn't go on the ground. Um, And in doing that, inadvertently, his knee hits the ground while he's holding the ball. Uh, he is in the end zone, so that is certainly a safety. A safety. They called it and it was correct. Um, 
Gramlin was not able to do anything when they punted the ball off to him with the short field, though, after that. Um, and so that was fascinating. Uh, again, Noah Botton was interesting in terms of everybody seeing him. You could kind of see his ups and downs. Part of that is not playing much. Uh, but a lot of people wanted to see what he could do. And um, that was fascinating because a lot of people argued that he should have been playing more uh, during the season. I guess you could still argue that, but he certainly – uh, was unable to make a big statement in that matchup. Any final thoughts for you in terms of the weekend as we have a week to get into the SWAT championship game? It should be intriguing. No, Dr. Kavir, I, I need my box of tissues because this is always a sad time after Turkey Day Bayou Classic because – for everyone, traditionally, it's been three teams in the past, but now we've got five teams that are left. Everybody else is at, in the clubhouse now, Dr. Cavill, waiting on these last couple of teams to finish off on the 18th tee and see who, who is not the waiting. ultimate not winner. Waiting 80, Drew. As Charles would say, they need to get familiar with basketball. Men's <laughs> or women. And, uh, and also, uh, y'all, uh, don't forget to discover your bowling programs also, uh, as that is an official winter sport also. Now you so. just didn't you just, you just, you just But it's true. But, but it is true. That, Again, let's get the women's The Atlanta Panthers, the men's program, they're off to a great start, undefeated 5-0 and in terms beat of they getting uh, – Yep. Beat Mercer, big win in terms of that matchup. Mercer's Division One program, for those that may not realize why, uh, Drew is saying that's a significant win, no doubt. Shout out to Prairie View Men's Program, first HBCU to three uh, Division One wins, but now rapidly behind them with Howard with some big wins this past weekend. Uh, also, shout out to the MEAC that is um, getting it done early in this season. They're two and zero against the SWAC on the men's side in terms of basketball. You have two matchups. Uh, that you will see feature between uh, on the women's side in terms of um, some games. Uh, but in terms of the MEAC is 4-0 versus HBCU Division One programs. And as I said, 2-0 against the SWAC. The SWAC is 1-2 versus HBCU Division One programs, including an 0-2 in the MEAC on the um, men's side. So fascinating. I'll keep you up with that matchup. Uh, we have a couple of one key ones to come up. You have a Tennessee State traveling to Alabama A&M. Uh, the other thing is I I'm intriguing to see which HBCU athletic director out there will create their own um, classic or tournament or event around basketball, whether it's men's and women's. I see a lot of these uh, one-bid leagues creating their own uh, six-team or four-team event around Thanksgiving week uh, and having teams come in. A couple of HBCUs played in those events and carried themselves relatively well. It'll be interesting to see if there are HBCU out there in terms of athletic director or men's and women's basketball coach that will take the mantle, come the first HBCU program to do their own uh, on their campus. I'll be looking forward to see what that looks like. And those of y'all who need some help, I, I, I do work for a small fee. I can, I can help you get that range for you as a basketball consultant. No doubt about it. Great one to do it. I'll be available to help Drew in terms of his capacity. We'll team up if you want our expertise. 
Just to close it out, Shivery's not dead on the women's side, women's basketball. The MEAC is 1-0 versus HBCUs. They had not had a SWAC matchup. Uh, and as thus, the uh, SWAC side is there's one SWAC MEAC matchup, and there will be one SWAC uh, HBCU Division One independent matchup. So we'll look forward as those come. With that being said, let's get out of here and allow you to have the rest of your weekend as you prepare and prep for a show tonight. Brian and AD will get it done and give you your index of what took place uh, this Thanksgiving weekend. And then they will also get you ready for the week to come uh, when all eyes turn to the SWAC, SWAC championship game. Final point that you wanted to share there, Drew? Yeah, uh, speaking of the SWAC championship game, I saw a tweet that really disturbed me this uh, week, Dr. Kabir, which just shows you why you ought to stay off of X or, or the Twitter machine, as I, as I like to call it. And somebody somebody took a shot at my beloved institution because of something that's good. The tickets for the SWAC championship game are already sold out. That's a good thing, Dr. Kavir. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think they're sold out in some capacity, I mean, but I, mean, was, the, I just want to get this out there so we, we're yeah. accurate totally. Somebody asked Tiffany Sykes, were they totally sold out? And she said no. Um, that would be a good thing if they're sold out. You're right in terms of the capacity. Uh, and as you said, there are negative people in the troll world out there. Yeah. Uh, but as you first allude to some of that, you just got to shake off the haters. But yeah. I did want to get that back there. Yeah, I know there's still some for designated for the Prairie Few fans that are that are still available, but some of the ones to the general public, especially non-season ticket holders, uh, most of those have been gobbled up already. And someone put on there, why not move the game over to Dope oh, yeah, Campbell yeah, Stadium? And Doc, I almost threw my phone across the room <laughs> when I read that. Let's th- let's think about this. Yeah, that's great. A, a, you're taking an event on a historically black college and university campus, and you want to move it to a non-HBCU campus that you will have to rent, where you will not get your parking revenue, where you will not get concessions revenue. Uh, but you will probably not get a hundred percent of the suites that they're gonna tax you. That they're gonna tax you on on the suites and all the ancillaries that go along with putting on this event, just to possibly get another maybe five thousand people into a stadium, Doctor Kavir. Maybe, maybe, maybe ten thousand people, and. Because it's Tallahassee and it's convenient because there is a FCS program literally across the railroad tracks. The stadiums are about four or five miles apart from each other. Yeah, in Tallahassee, in Fairview's, it is convenient that there's a stadium over there. But trust me, we're not welcome over at that stadium. Not in this capacity. Uh, you know, we we didn't hear that when the championship game was it all going, did we? Very similar capacities. Correct. Very similar capacities. Fabu is slightly larger than Alcorn's uh, capacity. Obviously, Jackson State is a unicorn in this equation, having the largest, uh, one of the largest stadiums in FCS football. But 
Why y'all going to take it away from us just because we happen to have a stadium on the other, other on the other side of town? I guess if Prairie View uh, hosts one year, Dr. Kavir, they're they going to they ask y'all to move the game to the uh, NRG Stadium or something like that, Dr. Kavir? I'm sure they have some person that's out there <laughs> that would do that, but uh, I'd be the first one to be like, no, you're crazy, don't do it, doesn't make sense. Uh, and at the end of the day, you, it, you have to – Chalk it up for those that are ignorant. And I don't mean ignorant in terms of ignorant people, but ignorant of business sense. It does not make dollars. And if it does not make dollars, it, it does not make sense. Yes. Thank I'm you sorry. for listening to the Inside the HBC <laughs> Sports Lab. Make sure you share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. I am Dr. Niana Kabil, the Dean of HBC Sports, coming from Inside the Lab in the College of HBC Sports with Mike Watson, Charles Bishop. Check out, uh, B.J. Jones, curator, HBC Weekly. Joshua Sims, senior curator, HBC Nightly. Obviously a great show by Carlos Brown yesterday. Um, on Saturdays, you can check him out. On Wednesday, you have an ONG strike zone. I know they will be getting down in terms of the SWAC championship game. They went back in a little bit of, in history as they talked about the early years of those that set up some of these blog spears out there with the MEAC fans, uh, SWAC fans, that better known as HBCUsports.com now and the fifth uh, quarter in terms of those websites. Great interview, so I want to shout them out for that. And then tonight, again, reminder, check out Brian and AD on Sports Wraps as they get it done. We look forward to next week as we discuss the latest news in the lab. You know, you catch us every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, 9 o'clock on Sunday. We'll talk about what that looks like as we will be traveling uh, down there to make sure we can give you some insights about that. So, Keep uh, eyes on us. We'll see what we can do down there uh, all weekend, including uh, whether we'll be able to have a show on Sunday as we will be preparing to travel back uh, Sunday morning. We look forward to next week as we discuss the latest news in the lab. Follow me, Dr. Yad Kabil, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-J-A-C-A-B-I-L. Shout out to all the lab listeners. Appreciate the support. Inside the HBC Sports Lab 1 on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Is inside the HBC Sports Lab on YouTube. Dream big. Continue to move forward. We will talk with you soon. Hey, Drew. Of course. Roy. Lecture. Dismiss. Drop a like.